Welcome to Season 3 of Breaking Free. I'm Rania Kurdi, a confidence life coach, comedian and mother of two. I invite you to join me bi-weekly for confidence tips and interesting chats with my guests who either work in fields that help develop confidence or who have had a personal story to share about their journey of breaking free and living with more confidence and purpose. In today's episode, you'll learn so much about how to resolve conflict within the family or at work, or perhaps with your spouse or partner. I really reflected on some of my own life issues as well, talking to Kimberly Best, who's the author of How to Live Forever, a guide to writing the final chapter of your life story. She's a speaker and trainer on the topics of conflict management, dispute resolution processes, life transitions and how to make difficult decisions, including end of life issues even. So let's begin and find out what a mediator is and how to deal with conflict in healthier ways. Hi, Kimberly. Lovely to have you on the show. Very nice to be here, Rania. Thank you. So, Kimberly, before we start and get into the book and, and understanding more about everything that you do, I'd love to start with just what is mediation for anyone that doesn't know? Uh, that's, that's a great question. Ever hear a lot of people don't know. So we kind of substitute the words collaborative problem solving for mediation since a lot of people don't know what mediation is. But we all have conflict and very few of us have learned how to handle conflict well. Uh, most people are conflict avoiders. Some people are kind of aggressive around it. But figuring out how to um, listen and express ourselves and find a resolution that works for both people is something most of us just haven't learned how to do. So a mediator, um, uh, the process is confidential. Um, our job is to help each person have a voice, um, to be heard, to have an opportunity to say what's going on um, with them and for them and uh, to understand the other person and then to design an outcome for both people moving forward. So we know it is an alternative to litigation. Over here, a lot of people know of family mediation around divorce, or they may know of um, you know, corporate mediation. You sign that waiver that instead of suing, you will do mediation. But on a very personal level, mediation works for anything um, relational, an argument with your neighbor about the dog barking to estranged family members and then to all the legal parts. Us mediators, especially non-attorney mediators, kind of hope that there'll be a world where we can skip the litigation in a lot of in a lot of instances um, and go straight to the people in the problem actually trying to solve the problem for themselves. With the help of a neutral, we're neutral, we're not for anyone, we're not for either side. Um, we're, that means we're impartial. And for me, I describe myself as omnipartial, meaning I am for both of you. And if I'm advocating for both of you, if I'm for both of you, um, having the best outcome that you have. For me, that's been pretty successful and a little, a little maybe more active than just being neutral sitting in that space. But the process works. It just works. Yeah, I mean, it's a great idea. Tell me, how do people even think, oh, it's a mediator we need to go to and have that third person looking in on what this problem is? How do they even know to come to a mediator, where to find a mediator? 
So they don't very many times. And um, that's, that's sort of my mission right now is to offer this as an alternative. Um, there are, you know, well, 10 years ago, when I started in this field, if you Googled mediation, you would get, you mean meditation. And sometimes that still happens. So it's so new, but most, um, most uh, states and countries, I know uh, England has a very robust mediation practice, um, a lot of studies in mediation. So I would just recommend checking with your local area and seeing what their mediation um, central hub is. We have statewide mediation things, organizations within each state. Uh, but now that we talk about it more, my hope is that it'll bring awareness to this as an option. And how does mediation differ from couple therapy? I will say that we have to sit in the past for a moment, recognize it, try to take steps to heal it. But our focus is on creating the future you want. It's more the what next. So for a lot of people, it is better because it addresses those issues and the roots of those as well but it doesn't get too caught up in behind as much as it is you can take action steps you can leave with something to do to um, improve whatever the conflict is I mean it's quite similar to coaching I imagine but there must be also some differences as a mediator where you're working with two people or more and and finding a solution yeah Yeah, so that's a great point. So coaching um, does offer a lot of help. Mediation um, really is more about increasing agency and empowerment of the people to decide their own outcome. I get to meet you for just a little while. So who am I to speak into what you should do with your life? I mean, you know, you know, your whole picture. So does the other party or parties. So it's helping you find your own clarity to make the you all make the best decision Um, for you, not what I might think is the best decision. Mm. So blame, can we talk a little bit about blame? Why is it that as humans, we always think it's the other person's fault and there's a lot of blaming going on? How, as a mediator, do you work with people to be able to see where they're accountable as well? Subtly is the answer. Um, so <laughs> I, I start off by saying the process is not about blame. Um, blame doesn't do anyone any good. And for me, um, blame, if we put our life at the root of someone else's fault, we have lost all power and agency in what happens. It's not us, it's them. So um, if you take away blame, which comes down to who's right and who's wrong. If you can set that aside, who's right and who's wrong, I'll say it doesn't matter who's right and who's wrong because it really doesn't. Um, Because usually both people are right and both people are wrong. Mm. If you can set that aside and and look at your own responsibility. Um, So what role do you have to play in this? So what do you think you did that might've helped lead to where we are today? And blame is just quick and easy. And um, I think we've made it hard to be wrong. We've made it hard to make mistakes. We point Mm. fingers really fast if someone messes up. But the truth is that life is an experiment. And 
every single day, every single moment is one you've never been in before. So true. So sometimes you're going to get it right. And sometimes you're going to step on toes. And that's normal. That's not because you're a bad person. That's because you have your history, your biology. So kind of normalizing the conflicts um, helps people say, okay, so maybe, maybe I can look at this. Um, maybe it's, I'm not a terrible person for having said done. We all say do, it's just part of being human. Mm. So that being said, how can we move forward? I say in conflict, it only takes one whole conflict system, especially with families is a system that's been repeating itself and repeating itself and repeating, you know, just slightly different variations, but in the roles that we've become comfortable with. If one person is willing to step outside of the roles, even if it is to stop blaming, the whole system will change. Don't know exactly how, but it will start a change. And that's always what we're looking for when we're stuck in a conflict that isn't working the way it's Mm. going now. I mean, as a therapist or coach, you're working a longer time with people that you can start picking up and seeing a pattern and, and, and discover the triggers and then find out where those are from and understand, you know, what's happened in their life previously. But if you're working with someone for a very short time to mediate, how do you kind of figure that out quickly when they jump in there and they're saying, he did this, she did that? It's exactly what they jump in doing. (laughs) The other thing they jump in doing is he's a narcissist. She's a narcissist. Everybody's a narcissist. And everyone's learned the word now, gaslighting a narcissist, and they use it against each other. Right. Knowledge sometimes. Right. But the truth is all of us are narcissistic when we're in pain, because when we're in pain, it becomes all about us. We can't see that when we're in pain. And I'm just thinking about that as when we become victims or feel we're victims, we become bigger perpetrators because we're so focused in how victimized we are that we don't realize we're actually being harmful. So there is a triangle that's the victim, the perpetrator and the helper, the rescuer, you know, and you repeat those often, those are repeated. So and to answer your question about how do we do this in a shorter period of time, um, William Urey, who wrote Getting to Yes and is just a, one of the world's most amazing mediators, says separate the people from the problem. So a lot of times if you spend a lot of time going, you know, Kim is the problem, you can't fix Kim. But if you figure out what the problem is in your interaction with Kim, she talks too much or she always interrupts me or whatever. If you identify the problems, then you can start finding solutions. Mm. So I think one of the reasons we can do this in a shorter period of time is we can address the problems, find a resolution. You're learning conflict skills, even if it's a temporary resolution. You're learning conflict skills in the meantime. And it works. You try new things. You go to your workplace. This works great in workplaces. Your home, wherever you're going with this new set of skills. And it works like everything until it doesn't. And then sometimes people come back and say, okay, now we have this problem that we're not able to resolve on our own. So with mediation, it's not hourly like therapy. For me, with therapy, once you start unpacking, your time is up. You know, so we meet in sessions that are however long the party or parties want to stay present. 
there seems to be a number right around three hours where you've unpacked a lot, you start putting it together, you design a plan, and it may require meeting a few times. For me, I meet with each person separately first for however long it takes for them to feel heard, to get some clarity on themselves, to maybe get a clearer um, idea of what they want moving forward and make it so that it's a safe environment. Safety is so important in being honest. Um, make a safe environment so that when people come together, their expectations, their high level of emotion is a little better um, maybe vented, maybe you've seen, heard, whatever it took to get them able to be with that person. Space that opens up when there's a safe space, when all these things we hold in because we've been told you shouldn't say them hmm. or that it's wrong to feel them, when those come out, it's it, I don't have the words for it. Whatever faith you have, I call it grace. The folks that are sharing this, their deep pain, their deep stuckness, their will to have a better relationship, but not knowing how um, to be able to share that with them is just it's just it feels like that's why we're humans. Mm. That's what it feels like. Yes. And it's those moments of deep connection or transparency and vulnerability that really stick with you that you remember. And you to be present at that moment where it was a shift for them is really, really memorable and, and uh, powerful. Yeah. It's powerful. Exactly. Yeah. Very beautiful. A lot of them haven't experienced that either, you know, in our having to keep up things like appearances and be careful of what we say and all these things that keep us floating on the top of ourselves. It's an opportunity to go deeper, like therapy, mm. like therapy. Mm. I mean, I have a therapist. I, I love my therapist. She's been part of my life from a really hard divorce till now, and she's my muse. And I was thinking, actually, while you were speaking about parents and their children how important and needed that is as a parent I mean you don't really have those skills you're just repeating whatever your parents did and learning as you go that that isn't working perhaps but how to know how to correct it you have family workers and social workers you know when you're really stuck you could perhaps go um, to them but having a mediator what sort of like have you got some examples or stories of how things could shift with how a parent talks to their child or when there's conflict with teenagers not knowing how to put those boundaries but still be open and have communication when they shut you out that's kind of my scenario at the moment so I'm thinking it's so so beneficial but like as parents you really don't know where or how to go about that how do you work with them and how do they come to you um, so usually they come to me by referral and people who I've done this with before, because like we've already talked about, few people really know that this is an option. Mm. We have pictures in our head of how we're supposed to parent. This story, Brene Brown's, the story I tell myself, what a parent looks like, what my child should look like, how they should talk to me. And should is a hard word because we all have these shoulds yeah. in our head. And the rest of the world doesn't know our rules <laughs> because shoulds are kind of rule based. Um, so it's very painful when the world's not following our shoulds and our kids don't either. And one of the reasons they don't is because they're their own person. 
So um, for me, I raised five kids and I am, I just love uh, studying. So you must be the best mom ever. Uh, right. If you knew your mediation before you had them, or did you? Let, <laughs> no, I did after. it afterwards. Oh. My youngest is 20. And because I started doing this, um, you know, a little more than a decade ago, he kind of grew up with it, which, which I'll tell you a story. Mm. So I'm, I tucked my kids in every night before they go to bed, used to read to them, but the baby doesn't like it. Everybody else has grown except the baby. He's in college now, but he, poor kid, 16, and we're calling him the baby because <laughs> his his older siblings are 20 years older than him. So he's clearly yeah. the baby. So um, I'm tucking him into bed one night and I walk up into his room. And um, not when he was 16, though. Oh, yeah, I always tuck him in. It's like, good night. Just really? Just, yeah, go <laughs> in and say good night, you know. And oh, okay. yeah, yeah, not like pull his covers up to his nose or anything, yeah. but always go in and say good night. <laughs> so I look around his room and it's just a mess. And I'm like, son, what is this? Like, what is up with your room? And he, what? This mess. I don't see anything. So my trigger is when I see a truth and you say, no, it's not there. I get triggered, right? Hmm. So about the time I wanted to pick up the pillow and put it over his head, I instead turn around and walked out of the room. And as I'm walking down the steps, I hear this voice behind me say, and you call yourself a conflict manager. So I was doing the avoidance, right? He knows he grew up watching this. That's not what you do. So I I literally tell people, I really am good at my job. I'm not bragging. I just am because I care a lot about doing it well. Part of that's the ER nurse, probably. I say, I'm really good at my job unless it's my own life. Because when it's our own life and it's our own conflict, our brains take over. And in that moment of a trigger, we're not going to respond. We're going to react. And that's what I did. But him telling me that keeps me humble for the rest of conflict. I needed to hear that to remember that for all of us, when we're the ones in conflict, we are going to sometimes say things that we don't want to say and um, do things that we don't want to do. Part of the problem is we haven't learned how to move forward after that. Like that becomes a wall Mm. then. And the move forward after that might be an apology. It might be talking about, you know, what was going on inside of me, not as an excuse, but to help you understand. And then the design, what am I going to do differently next time that happens Mm. to some degree, to whatever degree I can, because triggers just happen before we think. So that makes it a little more complicated. It is very complicated to be a human. It's it not is, that easy. Yes. So knowing that, how can we expect of a client to be able to change the way that they respond when they're triggered? Is it because they've got the help of a mediator through that, whereas you didn't have the help of a mediator through that moment, for instance? But if you had, you could have gone, oh, yeah, OK, yes, I'm, you know, I've got someone. Well, I to- did that afterwards mm. because he was right. And with triggers, they're going to happen. We're all going to get triggered. We don't recognize it very often. And you know what happens a lot is that I get triggered and I blame you for the trigger. Mm. Well, you shouldn't have said that. Well, it wouldn't have triggered me, but that trigger is mine. So just even having conversations around what really goes on with a trigger, understanding your own response to that, understanding, again, normalizing it. We all have them. 
just because we're triggered doesn't mean we have the right to hurt someone else, but we will react rather than respond. And then what are our options when that happens? Mm. What, what can we do? There are some textbook things to do, but because this is personalized for you, it is what, what do you see yourself doing? What option do you have and see what you can come up with because it's your life. Yeah. Because if you see it as just, well, it's just wrong to have a messy room. Um, then you're really uh, rigid about it. But if you sit with yourself and go, okay, there is no wrong or right really about a messy room, not a messy room. It's not a big deal. But where is this coming from for me? I feel out of control. Oh, it reminds me of when I didn't have control with my parent or with my sibling or, ah, okay. And then it takes away the focus from the issue being your son or daughter, you know, it eases it. Definitely. That's right. Mm. That's exactly right. And, and, and the, it's about values. And there's a um, wonderful, speaking on values, there's a wonderful free test. Uh, and it's on something called viacharacter.org. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun because um, it will, there's takes 24 val- values. Uh, neatness might be one of them. Honesty. Mine, number one, is love of learning. Everybody who knows me is not surprised. But love and beauty, creativity, things that we hold high in value. And um, you take this free 10 or 15 minute test and it ranks your values for you. I like it because we always hear what we do wrong, but this list tells us what we do right, what we value. Mm. And from our values, we can make better choices. So we're acting from our strength. So for me, I value neatness. I value um, some some type of organization. I value respect pretty high. My son values creativity. He values the outdoors. He could care less what the inside of a house looks like. Now, you're right. No one's right or wrong. But there are skills to learn on all sets because we value one thing doesn't mean that we can't grow in appreciation or respect for someone else. So it's finding the place where, okay, I understand that this is your value and this is your value. But at the flip side, you need a path out the door if the house is on fire. So what do we do that we can both come into an agreement um, that this is how we'll handle this situation. Mm. It's kind of like learning each other's love language. So if you've got a different love language, at least when you know the other person's is that, you can find this middle place of, okay, I'll give you a bit of this, you give me a bit of that, so we both feel seen and heard. Exactly. You know, in conflict, most of the time, almost always, people think they have two choices. Well, I can do this or I can do this. And I say in mediation, our job is to try to illuminate all the things on the continuum, as many of the things on the continuum, so that there are always more than two choices. We just usually just pick this or this. You know, we don't think of all those things. But somewhere on there is something that's going to be better than either this or this. If we were to summarize for the listeners, sort of what tools could they use to solve conflict you can't avoid conflict Mm -mm. um, but how can they deal with it better Uh, diverting your head from being in the heat of the conflict you know the more we dig in the more we dig in so uh, taking a time out taking a moment until you can get your thinking brain back and be who you want to be in the conflict but in the moment it is self-awareness so in the moment we're pretty finger pointed, you, you, you. Um, 
if we can recognize what we're doing in the moment, and maybe if there's someone that we're in conflict with often, a spouse or a child, maybe come into agreement ahead of time. When we find ourselves going in that spiral, if one of us could recognize it, sometimes I use a just a keyword, and it can be a stupid word like donut, you know, and not look what you're doing again, but some some neutral word that we both know that we need to step back and just regroup. Yeah. Now, in that step back, people call timeout, and then some people can't hardly bear a timeout. They really need to resolve the problem. So having an agreed upon when you will reconvene is very, very important. You might not have the answers then. I think, remember, you don't have to have the answers. This isn't like a right, wrong kind of thing. There are lots of things that may change it. But to come back speaking of what this was like for me, and then... How do we move through this? I think both parties have to be in agreement to do that. It's very difficult when one is ahead isn't. of time. Yes. Even, you know, even, yeah, even to get them to agree ahead of time. Like if it's your, your daughter, son, your ex, you know, that's they, they might not be on board for that. How do you deal with it if they just keep going and you know that you need that breather to not say something you regret? So in the conversation ahead of time that sets this up to be successful, um, if I were working with, say, a mother and a child, and I had the child by myself uh, for, the, for our private time, and I said to them, how is this working out for you, how it is? They're not going to say, great, I love it, I want to keep doing it. You know, so nobody's happy in that situation. So nobody wants to stay in that now, the irony is there's an expression, better the devil you know. Even in a toxic or painful situation, at least everybody knows the rules. And sometimes it's easier to stick in those than to what's going to happen if we change. There is a fear that the change will be different. So it, it just takes almost, for me, constant conversation, you know, awareness that that can happen. But still, you get to decide, do you want to stay in the place where this is or do you want to try something new to move out? Uh, not to get too complicated, but one of the things that people relate to very often is the three parts of us that are the parent, the child and the adult. The parent child knows what's better for everybody in the planet. So very often, especially in couples, I find somebody talking down. A parent talks down to a child. They're in power over. So they tend to talk down to making rules, uh, making decisions. And I see that with adults a lot of times. Yeah. Well, no one likes that. It feels like disrespect. Yes, it has that vibe of I know better than you. You don't know. And then that triggers you when you a boss talks to you that way or something because your parent did. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. Well, it also, you're 100% right. And then it also means that I have to I have to raise myself up so that I'm not under you. So then the escalation starts. So checking for that and then checking for if you fall into the child part, which is my tendency sometimes is to be, just be quiet and do what I'm told. That's mm -hmm. not going to work in a relationship either. But if we can find our adult self, and that's the person who brings our best self, whatever version of that there is, to the table to have a conversation. And just that has changed so many people. Oh, yeah, I do mm. speak down to my spouse. I do do that. And, and awareness yeah. is the first step of change. 
So it, you've got to identify what is it that I'm doing that's not working. And if you're brave enough to ask your partner that, I really think you might want to have a third party present to help walk through that going, it's okay. It's yes. normal. We learn to do this. There's a lot of reasons we do this. We just yeah. know things work until they don't. And we developed these things because we needed to. They just don't serve us so well as we're adults and whatever stage of life we're in. And when you're... When you're used to doing that, playing parent or child without noticing, being adult uh, feels so like like it's not natural. But as you get used to it, that's when you feel like, oh, my God, I feel like a mature person. Finally, you know, I've lost that putting on an act, being an archetype or acting all silly and cute or to get what I want and go into child or have a tantrum about it. It's a very comfortable place to be. But um I do warn people that uh, work with me that when you first start speaking an adult and expressing yourself in adult to a partner or someone that knows you from before, that can really trigger them because they're not getting the same pattern from you. And they think, why are you why are you like talking to me all like, you know, sort of adult like and not playing the game? And then they start wavering True. and panicking and maybe falling into a, an opposite one. And it takes a while to both end up in adult. But with patience, it really does get there. It's, it's wonderful. You're it spot on. It, uh, the, the other person will often accuse the person of being manipulative, which is one of those crimes that we've mm. labeled. But we're all manipulating our world, not in a bad way. It can be in a bad way, but we're trying to get through and moving our world to do that, you know. So, um there's a lot of yeah. labels, even conflict, these things that we just have uh, <laughs> look at as such ugly things. They, they just are. It's how we use them and what we do with them that makes them, you know, prettier or less. But overall, mm. they're not a bad thing. So, yeah, I think they have yeah. to know the other person. You have to be vulnerable enough to have the conversation. Look, I see this about myself. I see that I'm doing this and I want you to know I'm trying to change that. So if you experience me as you may experience me as doing it different because I there are things that I'm you know trying to work on in myself. Yeah, that's a way better thing right. than walking in being mm. entirely different and the person going, oh, my gosh, yes. what is this person up to now? Which is what they will say. What are they up to now? Because trust is broken yes. a little bit when that goes on because it's not safe then. and Safety builds trust. Yeah. It's funny how how painful it is to most people to hear someone maybe not tell them off, but say to them, I'm really disappointed in you that like hits so hard, doesn't it? That's saying you're not enough. Mm. You're not good enough. You're not enough. That speaks to shame then, which is. Yes. Or I thought you were better than this. And now I'm disappointed. That really is awful how teachers use that against students. Yes. Yes. I thought you just wouldn't ever make a mistake or show up human. I, I, that's a beautiful thought because we do do that. And we're forgetting that we're human and we're going to mess up. And Kim, to just um, talk a little bit more about the book, How to Live Forever, A Guide to Writing the Final Chapter of Your Life Story, you do talk about conflict management and dispute resolution processes, life transitions, but you also talk about how to make difficult decisions, including end-of-life issues. <laughs> Can you explain a little bit about that and how that came about? Yeah, how does that tie together? Um, so I spent 
almost all my life as a registered nurse and worked in every critical care unit there is, and ultimately the emergency department, and would see people, um, well, the first person I saw die, I'll back up a little bit, a 19-year-old registered nurse, and I'm sitting with this woman, and in my head, I picture a book, like I'm sitting there wondering her story, what did she love? What did she hate? What did she do? Well, I'll never know. This woman's not speaking. And all of a sudden I pictured a book, like her, a book. She is a book and the book ends just coming together to close. And in my career, everybody that came in, in that situation to me, I had that same vision of their life as a story. So fast forward to being a mediator um, the end of life, we we just don't talk about dying, just like we don't like to talk about conflict. And so we don't plan for it. And when you're in the medical field, you see lots of instances of people not wanting to let go and people tortured for that, to be blunt. Um, people just so torn making the decisions that are literally about life and death, uh, decisions that walk just a really fine line between hope and regret. So I felt like if we have these conversations ahead of time, the other side effect of that is that we live in a culture right now where disowning people and family is sort of an epidemic. You're just writing people off who disagree with you. And so more and more people are ending up dying alone. And I've worked with people who are like, okay, now I'm dying or my family member's dying. We want to try to reach out to a family member. So I thought if we could plan the whole thing as part of our story, and another thing about story is in studies, most people want to be left the story of who you are even more than they want your grandma's candlesticks or whatever yes. is being left in a will. So the the story part just spoke to me. So that this stage in life, we're writing our story, that this stage can happen at any moment. You don't have to be 90. And um, these are the things that help close the loops when that time comes as a gift to your family, as a gift to yourself, um, to make sure that you end up writing your story the way you wanted to read all the way to the end instead of your family who may or may not even like you or strangers doing that for you. And then it's always, not only are the conversations hard, but the, the unresolved conflict might be one of the loops that needs closed. And mediation is a tool for all of it, everything from having your will and estate plans, your um, advanced directives, which I'm a strong believer in. I talk about those. And then in the book, I tell stories about people that I have seen um, finish well by their terms and their family's terms and also not have these conversations and what kind of literally a disaster can happen by not having these kinds of conversations mm. yeah I mean I don't think people realize what a beautiful gift that is to have until later on in life that they understand how the generations before them are the family members traumas have affected and have a direct you know impact on what your character or what your fears are and it's really valuable to know the stories of your parents your grandparents your great-great-grandparents and to clear that as well for yourself and generations after you. Generations afterwards, right? It's the link between the past and the future, mm. you know? Um, and you're right, we don't. I'm my Both of my parents um, are dead. And 
um, they were just parents. They weren't even people. I notice sometimes my kids they see me as a parent more, more and more as a person. But uh, there's a lot I haven't shared because you don't want to burden your kids. But there's a point that if we a lot of societies have storytelling and it's not burdening. I mean, where did we come up with that? That's a burden anyway, as I say that. But um, I think um, when they know who you are outside of being a parent, that's what I long for for mine, because I look at my parents and the you talked earlier about, you know, whether or not we learn how to be a good parent and how our past ties to how we parent. My parent, my childhood was very traumatic. And I would say I learned everything not to do, but I didn't learn what to do. So mm -hmm. it was a process, you know, I, I felt like I went into parenting and life backwards, you know, without yeah. knowing what to do. I did learn to work hard and I did learn honesty was important. So that was a leg up, but how to do things that weren't hurtful. I knew I didn't want to do it, but I didn't know what that even looked like. Mm -hmm. So I think if I'd understood, uh, I was probably too young. There's a point where you're just too young to do those kinds of things, but it definitely has left a trail in my own family, even though I haven't parented the same, you know, you, you do do what you know. And what you're learning, we're learning the whole time. So I tell my parent, my kids in response to that, I definitely parent better than my parents did. Your job is to do better than I did, you know, and yeah. that's, that's evolution. Like that's what we can hope for. That's okay to hope for. Yeah. Well, Kimberly, this has been such a valuable, beautiful conversation. I could go on forever chatting to you about this. Thank you so much. I'm sure. I loved it just as I've had really important reflections about my own life, I'm sure everyone listening to this hopefully have had their own as well. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Breaking Free, please share it with your friends or on your social media platforms. And of course, I'd really love it if you can subscribe, rate or review the show. You can reach me directly at raniacurdy.com if you would like to ask a question, comment on what you heard today, or find out how I can support you on your journey.